Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. I'm here after the FA Cup game against Hull City, Fulham walking away with their fourth win in a row with a 2-0 victory over Hull. Uh, goals from Kazawa and Dan James, probably one of the most boring games I've watched in a while, even though we eked out the victory, but here to discuss it all with me, we have Elton, how are we? Yeah, great, thanks. Thank you very much. I've uh, taken on seven Red Bulls just to make up for a missing Sam. Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately we don't have Sam with us today. Uh, he's walking the dog, which apparently is more important than getting on a Fulham podcast, so um, we we see where your priorities lie, Sam. Well, well. To be fair, to be fair, you didn't watch the game. And, that too. Uh... That too. Um, so yeah, you know, as I alluded to in the intro, uh, pretty tough one to get up and about for FA Cup third round game, Hull City away from home. Uh, you kind of the writing's on the wall a little bit with, I, I guess, the result, the way the game actually played out, and we saw it with the starting lineup. Dad, your thoughts on the initial starting lineup? I don't know if you have if you have it in front of you there. No, but I I remember it roughly. Um, no, no big surprises. Um, I think Reem being rested is a sensible and very obvious one. Um, I like the idea that both Diop and Tosin were given a run. Um, Tete being rested makes sense again. Willian rested uh, for. Uh, a senior man in the side. I think that's a good idea. Um, but then again, BDR, as you commented, BDR at right back. Mm. Uh, un- unusual, but not not crazy. Um, good to see uh, Wilson getting a start. Um, contrary to uh, my last pasting of Dan James, I, I think, yeah, why not give him a run? And Vinicius... I think we all predicted that he would make uh, make a start um, in in advance of the Chelsea game, where he's got to play a role. And then, um, uh, obviously, not many replacements for the job that Pereira does. So, not surprised to see Polina rested, probably mm. regarded as uh, not required. And um, yeah, why why burn him out? Yeah, it was a, an interesting one. Like you did touch on. Um, Deckard over Reed starting. I, I was surprised by that, and I think it speaks volumes about where Mbabu sits in this mm. squad now. Mm. The fact that you know, not even giving you minutes. I don't even think you made the bench. Let me have a quick peek. No, I didn't don't, even no. make the bench. No. Um, so I, I think for me that says Mbabu's out the door, surely, um, and just totally not trusted by Silver. Which, based on his performances, you can kind of understand. Um, I think it was good to see Kazawa back after some injury, and I, I think he also had a good game. We'll get into a little bit later. Good to see Rodak get a start. Obviously, Leno is by far and away our number one at the moment, so um, tough on Rodak. He's you know an international keeper. He plays regularly for Slovakia, um, but not getting a start in the Premier League, and so these games are really important for him. And um, I think same with Wilson on the wing getting him a few minutes in his legs. Same with Dan James, get a bit of confidence. Was surprised that Harrison Reed played. Um, I kind of expected us to, I expected Kenny to start, but I probably expected maybe Chalibur to start in the middle or maybe one of the youth players to start as well. Um, I guess it's it's probably shows that Silver's taking the FA Cup a little bit more seriously than we maybe thought. 
Um, and I, I think Pereira and Vinicius starting together uh, was was quite a good idea as well because obviously, like you said, Vinicius is going to play a bit of a role in the Chelsea game because he has to. And so having Pereira there and and helping them get a bit of an understanding together by giving them minutes together is definitely going to work in their favour uh, down the track. So um, I don't. You obviously missed the first couple of minutes because we were faffing around trying to get Paramount Plus working, which is just ridiculous. The fact that we have to watch Fulham games on about four different platforms over here. But Cesla V. Um, the f- opening minutes of the game, I, th- I think Fulham obviously showed their dominance, but how did you think Hull sort of dealt with with Fulham early on? I thought they were not terrible at all. Mm. I mean, you, you did make the comment that I haven't been following the championship at all, but obviously they're, they're, they're doing reasonably well. I, I actually thought they looked pretty, pretty well organised, actually. Mm. Um, and they were at, this is probably a very... Um, backhanded compliment, but they weren't terrible. Um, that's not saying they were great, but they, they really weren't too bad. They had really good home support. People seemed to be, their, their, their crowd seemed to be really up for it. Um, just a little aside, I thought the camera viewing angles were really excellent. It was like, I don't know about you, but I had a great picture. Yeah, no, I, I, I did have a good picture. I think, like you said, I saw a couple of times, I noticed the cameraman actually seemed to zoom out a little bit and mm. show you more of the pitch than, than usual. Yeah. You can almost see both touchlines, which is it's a bit of a quite, joy after. Quite pleasurable viewing. Yeah. Um, after, um, I think that, was it the Leicester game where we were having a whinge about that? No, I think it was Palace. Palace, Palace. oh, so yeah. awful. Um, where he almost got a bit of a head spin watching the camera zoom back and forth constantly and Mm. have to basically point directly downwards to capture stuff on the sideline. Um, Mm. But, yeah, like you said, Hull, uh, they're they're currently 16th in the championship, but it's a very weird championship season this so far where in 16th place they have 33 points, um, but Middlesbrough are fifth with 39 points. So there's only six points Mm. between... Uh, well, I mean, seven points between fourth and 16th at the moment in the championship, um, which is just kind of crazy, really. Uh, Hull, you know, they're, they're sitting in 16th, but they're probably looking at it and going, a couple of good results our way, and uh, we're right in the playoff race here. Uh, they're, they're unbeaten in their last five in the championship, at least. Um, they, they definitely looked well well drilled. And uh, obviously good as well to see Liam Rosinho. I don't know if you remember him from his time at Fulham, but... Um, a, I remember a the really, name. I remember the name. Yeah, played right back. Really, really solid player. I I, I always really liked him. He came through uh, still quite young when he was at Fulham and, and played right back for a couple of years for the club. And um, his old man was a manager as well. I think his old man might have played a couple of games for Fulham back in you know probably the, the 80s. Um, and so good to see that He's doing well in, as, a, as a manager now. And obviously Marco Silva as well was the Hull manager back when he first came over to to England as well. So uh, there's quite a few ties between the two clubs. Seri, interestingly, didn't get a start for Hull, which I, I was kind of surprised by because the Hull fans have been saying he's, you know, best midfielder in the championship by a country mile. He didn't get a game. But as a commentator mentioned a couple of times, it, it was some uh, a game where Rosinha said he wanted to have a look at a few players who didn't usually start. And you could kind of tell there are a couple of players in there who um, had played quite a lot of games, but then there were also a few guys who, who just seemed a little bit off the pace 
And we saw it early on with uh, the first big chance of the game, which I think you might have not quite tuned in for um, by the time you got connected up. But uh, ball over the top, Deckard over Reed tries to take the ball down, sort of gets it under control, but not quite, and then tries to toe poke it back to Rodak. Miss kicks. Um, I think it was uh, Smith who got in behind. Uh, could have been either Smith or Woods. Um, young guy, only 19 years old. One-on-one with Rodak, poked the ball wide. A bit of a poor finish, really. Should have done much better and at least tested Rodak there. And uh, that could have been pretty pretty tasty, I reckon, if we'd gone 1-0 down. Um, you, your thoughts on that, if we'd actually dropped behind early doors? How do you think this team would have actually dealt with that? Because it's it's not our usual Fulham side. Well, firstly, I think that was nothing more than a rank mistake. It was mm. just an error. Um and it was a second touch after a just a a bit of a lazy first touch. It wasn't a very high energy focused uh dealing with it kind of uh play from Bobby. Mm. Uh well it would have made it very, very interesting if we'd gone one down. I think probably would have just injected more uh spice into the game and made us work even harder than we we had to but not to be um and ah oh, look it 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 wouldn't have been unreasonable if we'd gone one down because of bad bad mistake mm. and you can't you can't make those sort of mistakes yeah and i i was about to say it would have been a little bit unfair because i don't think we i i watched some highlights around that i don't think we're playing awfully up to that point it's just an isolated bad incident but so often you know, you get yourself into, particularly early, you get yourself into such bad situations when you make an early bad mistake. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen it before where, you know, we lambasted Tosin multiple times for Yeah, it's a very, a very, very Tosin kind of a situation, wasn't it? That's the sort of thing where it's just that little lapse in concentration um, and it was very Tosin-ish. It is something you see from midfielders often, though, because if if you give that ball away on the wing where Dekodovi Breed usually plays, and you try and poke it back, uh, it's it doesn't actually have a huge amount, a huge effect on the game because you've usually got Tete sitting behind you, Palinia coming in from the side, Diop and Reem sitting in the middle to to actually protect that. But when you're the last man, like he was there playing at right back, you you can't make those mistakes because you get punished. And in the Premier League. Well, nine times out of ten, or even ten times out of ten, that would be a goal. Yeah. Sure. Um so it, it does just prove that we we don't have that depth at right back because Deckard overread, uh, as much as we love him, he's not a right back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, agree. So obviously that was a big chance early on. Uh, Fulham did, however, look pretty in control of the game. I, I think possession wise, we had about sixty percent. Um, we definitely were lacking that cutting edge. And, you know, we were talking about it in the last podcast about how we just weren't creating enough good chances on goal. And that's with Willian and Deckard over Reed, who are in great form at the moment. When you see Wilson, who, who looks very, very rusty after his injury, and Dan James, who just doesn't have that finished product, and then Vinicius up front, who's unproven so far, it was quite noticeable uh, that we just didn't have that cutting edge. Your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, overall, 
what am I trying to say here? I don't, I don't think Wilson had an amazing game, but he does seem to be, he does seem to be improving every outing, and it just seems to be a very slow return. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe the level is bothering him. Maybe it's a confidence thing. I'm, I'm, I can't put my finger on it. Although, having said that, and we'll get onto it when we talk about the goal. He shot on target, which forced a save from the keeper. It was quite venomous, and mm. probably probably the most um, decisive he's looked in all of his minutes so far. Well, I'd, I'd say that was the Harry Wilson that we know yeah. and love. That's that's the the movement where he gets the ball out wide, and we were talking about it before the goal as well, where how every time he received the ball. Um, from Deckard over Reed, his first instinct was just to pass it straight back to him. He, mm. he never looked like wanting to look inside and find Reed or Canny. He never looked like he wanted to take on the defender. He, he really um, was was just playing it straight back again, just getting touches, but not really doing anything with it. And I think that might have been the moment that sort of sparked him for the rest of the game because those first twenty five minutes, I don't think he looked very good at all. Um, after creating that goal. He definitely um, just looked a better player after that. He looked like Wilson of old. Well, that's the the value of getting minutes, isn't it? Because you know, if you come on off the bench, you know, in a high intensity game, you've got to try and find your way into the rhythm of the game, and then you've got to actually incrementally improve on last week. Mm. It's really difficult. It's very, very difficult to do. I mean, players find it hard enough when they're informed to come off the bench and have an impact. But when you're coming back from an injury, a very long out, um, uh, illness or injury or whatever it is, mm. it, it's even tougher to do. And so the value of him getting a start, actually getting a lot of minutes, just gives him more opportunity for something positive to happen, for him to start believing again. And look, I, I, I keep want to, I want to believe that his involvement, his assist, uh, I'd call it more than an assist. He actually forced an error, which created mm. that goal. And so he should be pretty proud of himself um, for for that contribution. And you, you just want to hope that it's it sort of sits in his head and makes him feel like he's 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 he's, he's back. He, he struck it well. He struck it really well. And yeah. it's funny because I was I was actually pre- preparing a text to you, and I I was I said exactly that. I said. All of his movement seems to be negative. When mm. he gets the ball, he's knocking it back. If he doesn't knock it straight back to the guy who's passed it to him, he he passes it back even further downfield, um, which is not terrible, but it's kind of a wasted step in the process because mm. he's not really contributing. Maybe it draws a player, maybe it creates space, but it just doesn't help his game at all and which is what we're trying to achieve anyway yeah no he he didn't look the the harry wilson that we know but i i I really think that seeing him get that shot on target it would have been great to see that go in as well because obviously he goals for wilson are far more important than goals for kazara and i hope he takes a lot of confidence from creating that goal even though he doesn't get an assist for it but um before we talk about kazara's little finish as well should the keeper have done better there yeah, well, you commented that the keeper tries to catch the ball. It's, it's actually he's had a fair stretch. He's actually tested him pretty well, mm. and he he does 
his movement is very good, but he doesn't grab the ball cleanly. And on reflection, maybe a parry or a punch would have been a fist through it would have been more effective. Mm. Um, I think a fist could still have been problematic. You know, it would have been into open play, but obviously not to the feet of Kazawa. Um, look, I'm going to go a bit easy on the keeper there and say that he actually did pretty damn well. Um, and he could have done better, a clean catch, but it's actually pretty difficult at full stretch to catch the ball, I think. I'm going to go against that completely and say he's he's tried to not show off as such, but he he's tried to catch a ball that he shouldn't be catching. Good keepers there will go because he was at a he was at a full stretch, and the ball's sure. traveling at a fair whack as well, and it's going in the top corner. You don't try and catch that ball. All mm. you need to do is palm that. You get fingertips to it, and you don't need mm. to palm it forwards. There, you get enough fingertips to it put it out towards the corner flag you can go for a throw in if you get a full amount of hand to it but he he really almost tried to show off even though i know it wasn't actually showing off but you've got to be better than that and you can't let the ball fall into your box there to hopefully players following up and like i said to you when the goal actually went in that I, we haven't seen much from kazawa so far and we have we've seen little glimpses of quality but not really but the fact that Kazawa was there to finish that goal, I think, proves his quality. I, mm. I said to you, I compare it to Sessegnon, who was always in that exact spot, following up a ball. He stayed on side really well, and he was smart about it as well. You can see he's looking across the line. He waits until the ball's been struck. And rather than just watching the ball like the defenders did and the rest of the Fulham players did as well, he's actually getting into a position to to pick up some scraps mm. and he scores a simple tap in which by the way he almost fluffed because he hits mm. the other post yeah but a really but, good finish from Kazara in the yeah. end and, and it's all about being in the right place at the right time and I think that proves or, or at least gives us a glimpse of the quality that he has to be able to be in that right position at the right time even if he's a, a little bit off the boil that, that that's a good pickup actually uh and, and that you know just how valuable that kind of awareness and just instinct is and you're right, uh, it is very Sessegnon-like, mm. and it's something that we don't have. I mean, Anthony Robinson in a similar position, he'd be out wide. He would have yep. probably stopped. He would have crossed the ball in and stopped. Mm -hmm. um, no, you did right. I'm just wondering, is it possible that what's happened there is that the keeper is aware of Kazawa's very good position and that he's poaching, and that forces a keeper to try and catch the ball cleanly rather than taking uh, it. It's possible. It's entirely possible. I, I think he he's catches those in training every week under zero pressure um, and maybe not having a player of the quality of Wilson whipping the ball at him as well, and he just overestimates his ability there and spills the ball because that's a spill. The ball doesn't mm. drop down to your, to your feet when you're trying to make a save and you get fingertips to it, the ball goes out mm. of play. And if you're punching that, the ball, geez, it almost goes to the halfway line. Um, mm. He's he's made an error there. I, I think it's a it's a tough error, but I think he should have done better. And it, I, I keep trying to that. I keep trying to let that poor whole goal, goalkeeper off the hook, and you keep pushing him back <laughs> into a corner. Jack. He, he'll he'll learn from that. I think that's it's a good life experience for him. <laughs> text him, text him. <laughs> I will. Um, so one nil up, going into half time. Um, I mean, 
I guess overall in this game, how how much? It sounds silly, but how much did you really care about the result? Well, to go back further, what I wanted to mention actually is prior to his contribution or his his, his goal scoring effort, I actually thought Kazawa looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought I thought he looked he looked sharp, and he was making some good little runs. He was really involved in it, and he was very attacking. And I thought, I thought he looked pretty good, actually. Oh, I agree. I, I think he his movement was good. His passing was good. Uh, it's the quality of a player. And I remember saying it about when Pereira first joined us as well. When you see a player make a pass and the ball just zips along the surface and, and it doesn't slow down its role as it gets the intended player, it gets to that player at pace. And that's how you know those teams like PSG and Man City they they play that way they zip the ball around meaning the opposition can't get anywhere near it and i saw that from Kazar and you can see little glimpses of it in, in his movement in his passing ability in his positioning uh, i think he's he's a bit of a class player yeah so back to your point um you know you asked me a question about what did i feel about the outcome and did it matter I was driving along today and just thinking about that. And I actually thought that once again, a bit of a masterclass in, in the context of who Fulham are, where we are, the depth of our squad, the fact that we need to be focusing on the Premier League and to, to maintain our position in the Premier League and, you know, what the hell, the FA Cup. I, I th- there was every opportunity for Fulham to put out a B team last night. He didn't. Um, there was every opportunity for him to lock in, um, you know, one, even two nil and go, oh, actually we are in this and let's um, not park the bus, but let's manage the game and be sure of it. I thought he, I thought his attitude and outlook was completely otherwise. What was interesting is the biggest thing in his mind seemed to be this is an this is a low risk opportunity to get minutes for mm. all players and to really spread it around. I think obviously uh, Mitro's um, suspension after his five yellow cards uh, against Leicester, not five in the game, but his fifth yellow card. Uh, forcing Vinicius now into a role against Chelsea means that tactically you've got to play Vinicius and give him give him a chance to uh, you know get some match sharpness. But for the rest of it, I thought he was just like, yeah, Polina, you're coming on. I don't actually need you. Don't need to defend, but I want to keep you sharp. Um, and and he, he he sort of had an attitude which um, was looking beyond the result of the game. And he was playing his own game, uh, which I, I once again I commend him for. Yeah, I think um, I, I was a bit confused by some of the substitutions. To be honest, I, I didn't expect um, Polina to come on. I didn't really expect Tete to come on. I thought if you're going to rest players, you properly rest them and don't don't give them minutes. But we ended up seeing. Tete Robinson and Polina all get 20-odd minutes. Sharpness, sharp match fitness, sharpness. You know, I, to me, that's the only explanation. Why, you, why would you bring on three defenders 
when you won stroke two nil up against the championship side? Well, it was it was one nil up. I actually think there was a bit of um, thought going into it, going, we do actually want to make it to the next round. Because you, you never know who you'll get in the next round. You could get a League 2 or non-League club and be able to put out a slightly weaker 11 and, and rest players again. Um, and, sure. yeah, sure. It, it, it was it was interesting. But, you know, we'll, we'll sort of finish covering off the, the first half as well. There were a couple of chances before the goal went in. Both to Pereira. First, uh, he had a shot, a really nice layoff from Vinicius back to Pereira, and he shot at the keeper. Keeper tipped over the bar, and then um, Tom Kenny put in a really good cross from the left as well. Found Pereira, and he went for quite a tough volley, quite up high, but did really well to try and place the ball. And um, actually, just it, I, I thought it was quite a long way wide at first, but it only just missed the the post. Um, so we went in one nil up at half time. I think we were looking pretty pretty comfortable, pretty solid. Um, but it, it was a pretty uninspiring game, to be honest. It was drab, I think, is a fair description of the game, um, as you kind well, of expect against a team like Hull, who uh, they're not free-flowing, high-scoring teams. They're these This is a team that you know works hard for their results. To, to me, it was sort of like a trip to Motspur Park a midweek trip to Moscow, just to actually have a look at just how things are going. Let's have a look at a few other players, look at a few other systems. For both teams, I think. Well, for us, that that was my perspective Mm. for us. Um, I, I, you know, I, was I interested in seeing Chalabert? No. Harris every time, but he didn't get a chance. Um, But, you know, look, um, I actually think it's a pretty good outing for us. Not not because we won two nil, but I think it was it was an effective outing for us, and I think it gives us it continues the momentum uh, from from Leicester into next week. Mm. So I think I think that's the most probably most important thing that we 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 got out of it. Well, I mean, we we now four four wins on the trot, so it's nothing to sneeze at. I, I was looking back actually to see when the last time was in the Premier League, and I sort of gave up after a while. But, you know, we were spoilt in the championship where we had multiple runs with four wins in a row. We had a run of seven wins in a row as well last season. Um, to win four games in a row during a Premier Premier League season is a very good effort and something we should definitely hold on to. And, and hopefully we can get some good results coming forward as well. But And um, another clean sheet and <clears throat> also correct. a couple, couple of those wins on the road. Yeah, and and minutes in legs too. Yeah. So Vinicius had another chance, um, ball over the top, which he actually broke the line very, very well. Really poor finish. I don't know if you remember, he sort of dragged it well, well wide on his left foot, didn't even get close to testing the keeper. Um, From there, it it wasn't really, there wasn't really much going on. Um, I'd say Hull probably pushed for a goal more than Fulham did. But Fulham held very firm and didn't really look worried at all. Uh, the only chance I sort of remember for Hull was towards the end, the ball came in, got headed down by um, the striker who came off the bench. I think it was Connolly, but he was offside anyway. Uh, but a really good reaction save from Rodak, even though he was already offside. Um, and then deep into stoppage time as well, Rodak tipped over a header from uh, Stupinan, I think it was. 
Um, again, not a tough save to make, but he did well to actually tip the ball over the bar. And the game was closed out with Dan James um, with a really good breakaway. And, you know, we were talking about Dan James before as well and how we hadn't really seen the best from him and we weren't super impressed by him. But I think this is where someone like Dan James fits into a team. Your your thoughts on the James goal? Look, I was pretty harsh on Dan James in the last podcast. And one of the things that I wasn't aware of and the commentator did mention was that Dan James, there's another linkage between the two teams, and Dan James is actually an ex-Hull youth uh, player. And Tom Kenny played at Hull as well. Okay. Yeah, there you mm. go. Um, think carefully before I speak here. Um, Dan James. What, 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 what? <laughs> Look, um, I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to understand why he doesn't do what he clearly can do. And uh, We talked about this offline, and there's a sense that we don't use him properly, we don't feed him properly. Um, he doesn't necessarily come on because he, he doesn't start games and Kenny's not there to feed him the kind of balls that he needs with precision. Perhaps we're not setting it up for the narrow set of parameters that is the perfect Dan James game. Look, um, I, I, I still digging beneath on the lounge, you know, on the on, on, on the chaise lounge. I'm trying to understand what the hell Dan James barriers really are, you know, in his therapy session here. And it's got to be a confidence thing because... Yes, he had acres of space in that goal. I mean, it was a a, a hoof from Tosin into sort of nowhere. The defender does really poorly, lets it bounce. Uh, he loses control of it. And Dan James times it really, really beautifully and heads it away from him, just knocks it a few yards behind the defender. And at that point, with a keeper up to try and score from one of their corners, you know, he was never going to be beaten. Mm. And I think he picks the ball up about, I think he heads the ball about the halfway line. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And so he's made a really good run, but it's, <laughs> the, the the more space he's got to, to exploit, the more likely he is to get away from the defender. And he does just that. And in the end, he's probably a yard and a half clear of the defender when he just taps the ball in. I think it's and worth he, he, mentioning though, to sorry to cut you off, but it's worth mentioning that when Tosin boots the ball forward, Dan James is on the edge of the box. So it's not like he's sitting yeah, forward yeah, yeah. for that yeah, fast yeah. break. He he fully creates that himself by Tosin lumping the ball forward. Dan James working really hard in the 92nd minute to chase down a ball that's landing on the halfway line, mm. running after it and actually making it happen. You have to give him a bit of credit for no, that. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be stingy at all. I, I should have started by saying that was a really good individual effort where, as you say, um, it, it wasn't him hanging, you know, just in front of the defenders and looking for a ball over the top. He actually ran to the opportunity, uh, got involved in a one-on-one, -on -one, headed it away from the defender and then ran onto it and controlled mm. it and, yeah. uh, and, and then made it look very easy because he did all the hard work. So really good effort and the kind of thing that, um, look, 
forget the goal and let's talk about what Dan James could do for us. As I think we talked about offline, he's got the ability. If if we actually thought about it and and, and created space for him, he's got the ability to carry the ball a third, if not a half of the pitch. His finish might not be very good, but just carrying the ball up so far is an enormous advantage, right? And to be able to knock the ball into space and for him to run onto it, you know, just between him, uh, the defender and the keeper, if you like, um, it would be great. But I never see him really going for it with confidence um, like he should be able to. So what's going on? Uh, I think uh, it's it's tough to say what's going on because I just don't know. But I, I think at the end of the day, he's an asset. Uh, how how we get the most out of him is is Silver's job, and I think we're starting to see the benefits of having someone in the team like that. We've seen it a few in little fits and starts off off the bench so far, because this is really the first time he's he started a game. Did he start the Leeds game? I think he might have done and then come off the bench. Um, sorry, and then got subbed off. But I think this is the first time we're starting to see us actually play to his strengths a little bit more, and. It's one of those things that I'm sure Silver and Boa and the coaching staff will pick up on and go, this is how we get something out of Dan James. We have players looking for him, and he st- he just needs to keep making those runs, and hopefully he starts getting picked up and we can actually start to use him a little bit better than we have done so far. I, I still think you know there was a bit of talk around the fact that his loan might be cancelled. I-, I don't think that's going to happen, and Silver's come out and said it's not going to happen. Um I, I just mainly think, because Leeds don't want him back, right? Well, I mean, possibly, but I, I just think we have the ability. We, we've got this player who's very raw, reminds me of AK forty-seven in that way, who I still love. Um, and, and I think having someone like that in your team and on your bench, he's never going to be a starter. We all know that. Having someone like that on your bench is an asset, and we just need to keep backing him and keep keep trying things and see if we can actually make something happen. Because I, I you know. I, I see big things for Dan James if we get it right, and I see him scoring goals like this in those tight games towards the end of the season and getting us those few extra points that could actually make a big difference come the end of the season. One, one thing you've forgotten to re-mention, you talked about it offline, and I think it's a pretty good point. Um, the link-up between Kearney and Dan James um, is actually quite important because... You know, for for all his wonders, Jao Polinia is not the guy to release Dan James with precision. And to a degree, probably Harrison Reed isn't either. So, you know, Tom, Tom Kearney is well capable mm. of actually playing Dan James in. And, and it's something that we haven't seen that much of. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, it's... <clears throat> it's always going to be hard with Dan James when you've got Reed and Polina playing in the middle because they're not as creative. And as I said as well, Pereira sits further upfield, so he's not going to be able to play those balls. But we saw Kearney sitting deep and having the ability to pick those passes, and it really worked well for Dan James. And maybe that's that's part of it, that if Dan James comes on, you need to make sure Kearney's there as well, which which does happen fairly often anyway, but you need to make sure they're there in tandem to work together. 
and they they can actually get the best out of each other because Kenny can put those balls in and he knows he's got someone running onto it and we've got someone with the ability to you know actually push forward and beat people with pace to get in behind and and score the goals Hmm. so look that was the game 2-0 Fulham a weird game Uh, I struggled to stay awake for the second half for most of it Um, I don't know about you but it's it's one of those weird ones where I the league is such a focus personally for me that the FA Cup feels a little bit like a distraction sometimes. I know we'd love a cup run, but I just want to be a Premier League team for for a few seasons before we have a cup run and yeah, make sure we we're established again. Um, so it it feels like a almost a distraction, even though I want to win games all the time. So good to get a win, and you know you never know who will come out of the hat in the fourth round. I'll just double check when the fourth round draw is. No, I, I, actually, I was thinking about one thing I wanted to mention was um, two, two things about that first goal. Yeah, go on. Um, firstly, I I want to be a fan of Carlos Vinicius. Mm. I, I, I want to like him, but he, he's not doing it. Although I did, th- I don't think he had an awful game. He's just the end result for his position on the field, which is striker, was obviously very little. Because mm-hmm. it's great for him to be part of link up play, and he was definitely a part of that goal, because he's the guy who you know he he was playing with his back to the goal. He dug it out of his feet, got the ball out, a bit awkwardly, but he got it out to Kenny, who then set up Wilson for that shot on goal. And I I don't think he had an awful game. It was it wasn't a fairly ineffective game, and he's not really doing it. He's certainly not challenging. Um, Metro in any way, shape, or form for that jump, that that um, that shirt. And I'm I've, I've got a question to you here, and I want to pose a question: What's the future of Carlos Vinicius? It's tough because I don't. I well, do you bring in another player? I I don't know. I, I think Vinicius isn't the answer to a reserve striker, really. But who is? Um, but neither, but neither was Munez. So you, you'd argue that we've done a bit shit, really, in terms of providing a really good replacement for a Mitro. Sure, but the tough thing is finding someone who's happy to sit behind Mitro because if you join Fulham, you know that you're the second choice striker, and so I think we're going with. Well, obviously Vinicius is in on loan, so it's slightly different where we don't have any obligation to buy him or anything like that. Mooney is, is a bit of a hit and hope with an is he 19, 20-year-old from Brazil, and you're crossing your fingers that you get a bit of a star who develops. And they obviously saw something in him that and went, you know, this guy has the ability, has the talent to be able to make something happen um, and potentially be a star down the track. Uh, it just hasn't worked out so far. And that, um, that that move, that loan move, seems to have come to a bit of a dead end. because Yeah, I, I it I sounds like... Um, Carrick's, not, Carrick's not picking him. Yeah, and Middlesbrough have signed another striker, I believe, as well. So there's the probability that he's going to end up back at Fulham fairly soon if he's not getting game time, um, especially if Silver wants him to be playing more often for his development. I can't imagine he's going to be hanging around at Middlesbrough for very long. Um, so, I mean, for me, Vinicius isn't isn't the finished product, but I think it's hard to find another option, really. Uh, I mean, maybe we're giving a bit of a... 
a, a bit because we're playing well at the moment and getting good results and we're in a good spot in the Premier League and can offer European football potentially next year you have better options but it's going to be tough to convince someone to come across I think that's the hardest thing for us and I don't see how that's going to happen um which means it's going to be really hard to find another striker so I think you kind of have to stick with Vinicius or you change your system and go right well actually Solomon who we haven't talked about and we should talk about Solomon is the backup striker effectively and we play we almost don't play a striker and play a couple of center mids who push forward and create together mm. speaking of Solomon though what, what what were your thoughts on how he played today because it was the first time we seen him since the first game of the season and um I, I know he didn't get long on the pitch but I, I thought he he kind of gave a fairly decent showing of himself and showed a few little touches of class uh <laughs> honestly I didn't think I fell asleep last night, but maybe I did because I don't remember him. He came off the bench and played on the left. Yeah, I, I know that. I, I do remember him on the pitch, but I can't remember him doing anything. There, there um, was only one real moment. He he ran in from, he cut in from the left flank. And I, I just, you know, I, I sort of woke up a little bit and sat up and watched when he came on because I really wanted to, you know, actually see him play. Um and there was one moment where he grabbed the ball from the left, he cut in and just jinked really nicely past a couple of players. It looked really, really good. Um, and I got fairly excited by it, to be honest. So mm. I think it's going to take a bit of time until he's ready for more than 20 minutes. But it's a shame because I think he could have been used as an option to sit as a, a, a sort of fill-in striker. And, and maybe we'll see it. I don't know. Maybe oh, Silver. Timing's all wrong, though. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe Silva didn't get enough out of out of Vinicius there, and is is potentially going to think about something different. Oh, big big roll of the dice to to go. Oh, Solomon, you haven't played for six months. Uh, your striker. Want to play a striker? Well, <laughs> I've seen weirder things, but I, I agree. It is it is a bit of a it's a big call to make. I don't mm. think he's going to make it, but we'll see. Um, mm. So look, that's that's the whole game. Like I said, the the draw for the fourth round happens on Monday. Um, it's probably Tuesday morning Australian time. So we'll find out who we've got. It'll be really interesting. I think if we get Man City away from home again, that's mm-hmm. our cup run done, which seems to happen every time we get into the cups. Uh, hopefully, we get you know a nice draw against another League One side or a League Two side, and actually get the chance to have a proper cup run this year because it would be nice, but. I, I always want that focus on the league, and so I'd rather see us come up against a, a minnow. And yeah, yeah, Staines United, you know. Yeah, I mean, you you want to play small teams, and then you know get a game against Everton later in the, and then a game against Aston Villa, and that's your Premier League team that you have to play, and then you come up against an Arsenal or a Man United in the final rounds, and can actually get tested but we we never seem to have the luck to be able to get us a good draw all the way through so it would be nice to actually see us make it make it the distance um so a couple other things. I would like to talk about some contract extensions that were announced. Um, Reem, Tosin, and Decadova Reeds in the last week or so have all oh, had. I thought you were offering me a contract extension. Uh, no, you're you're still on probation. Um, <laughs> Reem, yeah, Reem, Decadova Reed, and Tosin all have had one year extensions. 
uh, all of their contracts were ending at the end of this season. So it's good to see them extended out for another 12 months. Uh, your thoughts on those extensions? Do, do they make sense to you? Totally. I mean, could you imagine not extending Ream? Could you imagine letting Tosin go? Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think they're all pretty obvious and very happy to see them happen. Yeah, I think it's it's fair reward for Tim Ream for everything he's done so far this season. Uh, I think the Tosin one's quite interesting because he's obviously not a part of the first team plans, really, not starting every game. And there was a lot of talk about him potentially leaving the club to try and find more football and also the club actually um, cashing in on him, knowing that his contract was expiring fairly soon. Um, so that's that's quite an important one because we obviously picked him up for a steal. I think we only paid one or two million for Tosin when we signed him, um, whereas now he's probably he should easily be worth ten, maybe maybe twelve million, something along those lines. So that's a really good piece of business. Um, and BDR as well, I think, are uh, Swiss Army knife, well deserved. So um, yeah, I think that was just worth mentioning because I, I'm glad we're. We're sticking with the core group because it's something we didn't see the last time we got promoted. But, mm. you know, all three of those guys played a big role in the championship last season and we're extending their contracts in the Premier League because they're playing so well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Agree. Uh, and then a couple of transfer rumours. We we haven't seen a huge amount going around. There's a bit floating around on Twitter. Um, the two main ones that were sort of confirmed were deals for Decore and Cedric. Decore from Everton, Cedric Swaz from uh, Arsenal. Uh, but we believe those deals both sort of been kiboshed as well by the wage demands from those two players. I believe Decore was on 120000 a week at Everton and Cedric's on about 80000 and uh, all reports say that Fulham are only willing to pay about 50% of that. And so both of those deals seem unlikely to go ahead, but we'll keep an eye on the market as well and see what's going on. Did you see the um, there? There was an article. I may may have been on Twitter, um, just sort of musing the idea that you know, with Metro's success in in the Premier League this time, is it time for an, a big club to consider Metro? Yeah, I did see that. I saw an article saying uh, that Metro shouldn't go to Man United; he should go to Chelsea. Um, because he wouldn't suit Man United's style of play. I, I don't know. That was Darren Bent apparently talking about it um, on some talk show. I, I don't think. I mean, I, I hope I'm not wrong, but there, there don't don't seem to be any signs of Mitro looking for a move. Uh, I don't know if it would suit him. I think he really likes being at Fulham. His family live in the area. I don't think he'd want to move up north even though he obviously spent some time up there when he was with uh, Newcastle. But it, it doesn't seem like it makes a huge amount of sense at the moment. Um, why would you leave a club that are performing well to go to a club where, you know, you might be replaced after a season or two because you're too old and then you have to restart? Um, you might not, you know, you look at someone like Marcus Rashford at Man United, who is, you know, one of England's best players, one of the best young players in the country. And he's struggling to get a start most weeks, and he's coming off the bench. Um, Mitro thrives on, you know, playing constantly, um, and he's he's probably not going to get that at one of the bigger clubs. And you know, he's getting paid a decent amount. I don't know how much more he'd be getting if he went elsewhere. I, I just think it doesn't really make sense for Mitro to leave at the moment. Uh, I, I I agree with you. I think I think he's got to be close to his optimal 
sort of wage uh, that he could demand. And it, it's great that it's working out for Fulham. You know, he's, he's actually paying dividends to Fulham. So everyone's happy. But he's he's not the most versatile of players. And we, for whatever reason, um, needs must, really, for, for the most part. We've built a system around him and it's working. And I'm not sure that that many clubs. I was kind of going to say something similar that, you know. How many clubs are going to change their system, which is probably considered to be a bit of a one-dimensional system, that you're back, you 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 know, you're putting all your eggs into the Mitro scoring a hat full of goals basket. I don't Mitro's, think he's not lightning quick. He's yeah. uh, he's a good finisher, but really he he thrives on balls being pumped into the box from good crosses. He's you know he's not a um, uh, he's not a Harland who's going to be nipping in at the far post with tap ins or bombing forward and pushing defenders out of the way. He's not got super skills with his feet. He's not going to be, you know, flip-flapping around players and doing, you know, step-overs or anything like that and scoring wonder goals. He's a hard-working player, and it kind of suits being at a hard-working club like Fulham as well. I, I just think it would be a massive, massive risk for him to go elsewhere when he's scoring goals and getting regular game time and being paid well. I don't see the benefit for him to leave. It's, and it's, maybe it's that's almost, a one-sided view. but No, but it's almost like a we've created this system that's working really well um, for a player that doesn't really have that many options uh, in, in in terms of the systems he could fit into. So mm. it, it's, it's sort of a good situation for Fulham in that you're unlikely. He's not that attractive a, a proposition, really. You know, for the really big clubs who would be prepared to pay 150 grand a week to up his wages and part with maybe, I don't know, upwards of 70, 80 million pounds that England, uh, not England, uh, that Fulham would want for him. Yeah. Uh, we've we've built the team around him. It wouldn't really, in my mind at least, it doesn't make sense for him to leave because he'd be going into a system that he then needs to fit into. It, it Being at Fulham is perfect for Mitrovic at the moment because we we do everything to suit Mitro yeah. and I'm happy with it because he scores goals for us. So it's, you know, perfect balance at the moment of us sure. making sure that the, the way we play suits him. And and you see it when you have someone like Vinicius come in and that's the issue as well, is that our style of play suits Mitro. So you have to have another Mitro as your backup striker, but mm. it's a very specific player who is strong, brilliant at holding up the ball, brilliant finisher, kind of good with his feet, a fairly good passer as well, good positioning. Um, it's tough to find a player like that to to sit as a backup. Um, but also, he's not the kind of striker that any of the major teams have. Have you ever seen a striker like Mitrovic at an Arsenal? You have At Arsenal, you have Blakes yeah. like Bergkamp yeah. and Van Persie. At Man United, you have Rooney and um, Van Nistelrooy and guys like that. It's not You don't find Mitrovic's at the top clubs. And so... He suits a club like Fulham or a club that at least maybe most seasons sits between that sort of seventh and tenth, twelfth place, where you're you're the key man at the club. I, I can't see him leaving and I can't see why he'd want to leave unless the money's ridiculous. That's the only reason he'd leave, is if it was an offer too good to be true. I, I don't think Mitro would care that much uh about playing for Man United. I don't think it would tickle him to 
have Man United on his CV as much as it would to score 30 goals for Fulham in a Premier League season. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. But in a, in a whiteboard tactical session or strategic session, all roads kind of lead to get better and better and better wingers who are absolutely world-class at putting those balls into him on his, on his forehead. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all about how can we better serve Mitro? Uh, yeah. And why would you ever want to leave a system like that where you're getting paid yeah. really well? And, you know, I, I think you kind of have to say he, he loves Fulham. He's been with us through two relegations. He's been with us through managers who don't actually like him that much in Scott Parker. Mm. Um, now you've got a manager who loves you, does everything for you. You know, he was sort of semi-injured and we we let him not train. He but he didn't train. He trained the day before games to get a little bit of match fitness and then came in to the starting lineup because we love him so much and we we basically gave him the easiest job in world football where yeah. you don't have to train and you just rock up at game day. But it sounds like, like you. It sounds like you were uh, your cricket career. Yeah. I, I was literally about to say it. See, it's like <laughs> fourth eleven cricket. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, for me, Mitro, he loves the club, and I think he he's becoming a legend at the club. He's probably already a legend, really, with some of the records he's made. But he's only the fourth or the fifth player to score a hundred goals for the club. He's definitely got in his sights if he stays for three or four more years, the ability to be our all-time league league top goal scorer. And I don't know why you wouldn't stick around at a club to become an absolute legend for that club um, when the opportunity is there for you. You know, he's he's getting on a little bit now. He's, what, is he 29? I thought he's 28. 28? But anyway, we've convinced ourselves Mitro's going nowhere and <laughs> think we couldn't be happier. Uh, I, I'd love to see him stay with us for another four seasons well um, with every year that passes the chance of him leaving is just you know go down significantly because they're not going to drop his salary yeah he's not going to get that rep- get that elsewhere and he'll see his see his time out happy days you know if he stayed with us through you know he's played 160 games for us i'd love to see him play you know 250 300 games for us and by that point you'd expect he'll have 150 170 goals for the club and uh, you're you're a legend at that point. There's not many guys who play 300 games, but an- another thing as well, Tosin and BDR both signed that new contract. They both recently played their hundredth game to the club as well. So we're starting to see a little core group who've played a lot of games to the club over the last five years or so. Um, uh, and it's it's it just feels like a good place to be at the moment, Fulham. And Mitra, I don't know why you would ever leave. So don't. <laughs> I love the way we were just getting increasingly convinced ourselves. <laughs> please, please don't go. Please don't go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, one last thing before we do finish up, I just want to make mention of uh, Tony Khan as well. Just sort of non-Fulham related, but also Fulham related. Look at how well Fulham are doing in the league at the moment. But Tony Khan and the Khan family, they have Fulham. They have the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. And they've got AEW, the wrestling franchise they have as well. Um, Fulham sitting seventh in the league. Jacksonville Jaguars made the NFL playoffs this morning for, I think, the first time in, I don't know how many years, but a very long time, as in 10, maybe 15 years. I don't think they made the playoffs. And AEW are now currently, apparently, ahead of WWE for what they're doing with wrestling as well. So, 
Tony Khan, at the moment, everything he's touching is turning to gold. Um, and we've been pretty harsh on Tony Khan, not on this podcast, but, you know, in our conversations over the last seven years or however long the Khans have been in charge and thinking he's a bit of a, you know, wanting to, wanting to have a bit more control than maybe we'd be happy with. But I have to say he's done a superb job and it, maybe it's just time that he needed um, and had to make some mistakes and he has made some mistakes. I'm sure he he would um, himself admit that, but we have to take tip your hat to him and say he's doing really good things across the board and everything he's doing at the moment. You know, I, I feel, I, I agree with you, and I, but I feel like it's a little bit of chemistry that need needed to be found. And I think he... Once again, the signing of Marco Silva is a really important milestone for Fulham recent history because I think the Khans believe in Silva, and I think given the, the the style of business, you know, family, father, son type uh, business that they do, um, I, I I I think you know Silva has kind of allowed Tony Khan to grow into himself. Is that a weird thing to say? But but to sort of be be the kind of manager he probably really wants to be because Silva's actually delivering for him, whereas I think everyone was just nervous with a string of managers we had before and, you know, mm. culminating in um, the last man whose name will not be mentioned mm -hmm. very true look mm. let's wrap it up there um we've got we'll hopefully have a podcast midweek sometime uh, i'm going to catch up with sammy and we're going to talk about the upcoming chelsea game i know sam's frothing to talk about that so it's definitely one that uh he wants to discuss and i'm, I'm looking forward to discussing it with him as well but dad thank you for your time today in uh, yeah enjoyed it i think there's probably any um uh audio space in the mix for two two voices on that because uh, Sam's you're not gonna be able to shut him up no absolutely um I'm gonna have to just walk away from the laptop a few times and come back every 10 minutes or so while he's <laughs> talking about how we're gonna thump Chelsea but anyway look dad thanks very much for your time today yeah great enjoyed it and come on you whites <laughs>